0: I've listened to Permanent Vacation by Aerosmith for half a year. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Hello everybody and welcome back to Spin It. I'm James and with me as always is Connor. Say hello to the people.
1: Hello everyone. I'm happy to announce no difficulties listening to the record this week.
0: Man, thank goodness. It only took you like a month to figure out how to listen to the music we're talking about every week. (laughs)
1: Well, there's a lot of complicated ones. This one was pretty simple. There's not weird versions. No,
0: pretty straightforward. No deluxe editions. No deluxe
1: editions. It was nice and simple.
0: That's right. That's the way they did things back in good old 1987. I was back before all the all the remixes and re-releases. But this week we're talking about Aerosmith. Steven Tyler, Permanent Vacation. It's a pretty rock and roll record here.
1: Aerosmith is a pretty iconic rock and roll group. That is very true. If you listen to my Spotify listens, uh, 70s and 80s rock is like the number one thing I listen to. So
0: Okay, so another one that is potentially right up your alley.
1: No. <laughs> oh, No. Again, I don't do albums, right? And for the most part, most of these songs I haven't really listened to because they've never popped up on like the greatest 70s and 80s rock playlists that I listen to.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. There were a couple of radio singles from this record that really hit it big. But for the most part, this is a record of what I would mostly consider Aerosmith deep cuts. Or deeper, at least.
1: Yeah, so most of it was new to me.
0: That's exciting. You know, I like the records that are mostly new with a little twinge of familiar with just a little tiny bit.
1: Just a little nugget.
0: Yeah, a little nugget of familiar. Those familiar nuggets. (laughs) Right. Hey, if you're listening
1: and you have no idea what this is, it's a podcast. It's where we speak and you listen. Enjoy. Okay,
0: yeah, it's a podcast where we talk about music that I know and that Connor doesn't know. (laughs) You may have already ascertained that from the things that we've been saying, but just in case it was unclear, that's this. So let's talk about Aerosmith. They were formed in Boston in 1970, and they're still active today in 2021. So that's quite a career spanning, at this point, 50 years. I mean, they took some breaks. They did. They had some breaks, and some members left and came back. But they're still putting out music and touring, and that's impressive in its own right. The band is made up of Steven Tyler, of course. He's the lead vocalist, and his tag team co-writer is Joe Perry. He plays the lead guitar on most of these tracks. Yeah. They're like the most iconic, too. They absolutely are. They're the primary songwriters for the band, and a lot of people refer to them as the Toxic Twins. That's because of drugs. Yeah, they used to do a lot of drugs. They don't anymore. They got clean, and we'll talk about that. But yes, toxic drugs. Drugs are bad. Stay in school. Then we've got Tom Hamilton on the bass, Brad Whitford on the rhythm guitar, and various other guitar parts. And then Joey Kramer was on drums for this record. And like we mentioned, there have been some changes in the lineup over the years, but for the most part, that five has kind of been the core five of Aerosmith. Their self-titled debut album, called Aerosmith, came out in 1973, and they've released 15 studio Album since then, Permanent Vacation, which we're focusing on today, was number nine.
1: Number nine. It's the final inning album. You know, yeah. baseball.
0: Yeah, sure. I guess. Wait and see whether we determine that this final inning album was a strikeout.
1: I hope we determine it was a grand slam. <laughs> All right. Enough with the baseball analogies. I'm, I've run out of them.
0: Okay, that works. There are only so many you can make anyway. So, a fun fact about Aerosmith: their fans are called the Blue Army. That's what they're referred to as. Yes. I knew that. Yeah.
1: They got that nickname because they would predominantly wear blue jean jackets and things like that. And so that's where the blue comes from. And then they were really, really passionate fans. They didn't like to hear negative things about Aerosmith. And so they kind of got dubbed Aerosmith's Army. So Blue Army.
0: Yeah, that is a very logical way to come up with a name.
1: What are we going to call our fans? I feel like we need to have a name for our fans.
0: That's a great question. Um, What do we want to call them? Spin... Spin heads.
1: I feel like our fans can be, maybe we should unofficially hire our fans to be the writing department since ours can't seem to get itself together.
0: That's right. The writing department doesn't want to do their job. So I think that's not a bad idea. I think the fans could be the writing department. Maybe they'll come up with better things for us to talk about. <laughs>
1: Hear that, audience? You're officially the writing department.
0: Welcome to the Spin It Industries family. Have fun. HR will be in touch. <laughs> All right, well. Accolades. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about their accolades and stuff.
1: Accolades. <sighs>
0: Aerosmith, (laughs) 50-year career, as you can imagine, they've definitely seen some success and some commercial wins. They are often referred to as America's greatest rock and roll band, colloquially. Now, whether that holds up, I don't know, whether they really are the greatest, but they're certainly among the greats. They have to be in the conversation, I think.
1: Yeah, I'd agree.
0: They didn't see a lot of critical acclaim during their first go at it in their early years. They had a run from 1973 up until the early 80s, and then they decided to take a break. And at that point, it looked like the end of the band but it wasn't for long because they reconvened in the mid-80s for a comeback, and that's when they really started to get some traction with the critical awards. They've got 10 MTV Music Awards out of 36 nominations, which puts them solidly at the third most awarded group of all time at the MTV Awards.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: They've won six American Music Awards for being the favorite heavy metal, rock, pop group, and various other genres, right? They've just been nominated as a group for being the group. And they've earned four Billboard Music Awards from 1990 to 2001, and they won four Grammy Awards. All of them were for Best Rock Performance. One was for Janie's Got a Gun in 1991. One was Living on the Edge in 94. Crazy in 95. And Pink in 1999. Now, here's a fun one for you. They won an award in 2018. Any guesses what mystery award they may have won? It's one that you know.
1: Oh. it's It's one I know? It's an award I know?
0: It's an award that you know, yeah.
1: What was Aerosmith doing in 2018?
0: I like making you guess. This is like a baby version of Factor Spin.
1: I know they like to take on a lot of weird projects.
0: They sure do. I'll spill a little, I'll spill one bean for you. I won't spill all the beans, but I'll spill one bean.
1: Give me that one bean.
0: They were nominated for a Tony. In 2018, a Tony. Oh, <laughs> yeah, a Tony for for musical theater. Oh, oh, uh, is it for um? Oh,
1: what's the name of the song? It's in the SpongeBob musical that came out around that time. Steven Tyler and Joe Perry. They did they did a song in in that, didn't they?
0: I am so impressed. They did. It was for their work on the song called Bikini Bottom Boogie in SpongeBob SquarePants, the musical that was on Broadway in 2018.
1: Bikini Bottom Boogie. That's what it is.
0: I'm so impressed. I didn't think you'd even have a a good guess at that. And you got it.
1: The Tony really gave it away. If you hadn't told me the Tony, I don't think I would have got it. I would have forgotten all about the SpongeBob musical. Yeah. But when that came out, I listened to I listened to a lot of musical soundtracks. And so I've listened to that soundtrack. And so once you said Tony, it clicked, but I wouldn't have gotten it without that yeah
0: okay well well good job i did not stump you this time (laughs) this is the point where if you haven't heard permanent vacation yet and you want a little bit of good rock and roll music for the next 50 ish minutes go ahead hop out listen to that and then come back and we'll talk about it bye don't say bye so meanly that wasn't mean it sounded like you were like bye like get out of here
1: oh I mean, I can be mean about it if that's what you
0: want. Maybe next week. I don't know. Don't be mean this time. Oh, okay. I was just trying to be like, bye, like, see ya. Have fun. Have a safe trip. They're all back now, and they're all listening to us have this conversation. So back so soon? Welcome back. So this record came out in 1987, 17 years into their career, and it was their ninth. Like we said, they've pretty much got an entire discography under their belts at this point with nine records, and it's kind of a heavy metal, pop rock, glam metal, blues rock record. A lot of different things all rolled into one. But the important part is that they mostly all end with rock and metal. Permanent Vacation is really considered the band's true comeback album because they released a comeback album in 1985 called Done with Mirrors, but it really didn't do too well. It was kind of a flop. So, they decided they should change things up on Permanent Vacation. It was the very first time that they worked with outside songwriters and didn't write everything for themselves, and they cleaned up their act and got sober. After Walk This Way was so successful, their single, you know, Walk This Way, they decided to sober up, and get co-writers.
1: Walk this way.
0: Yeah. And that's what led to Permanent Vacation. It did really well. It peaked at number 11 on the Billboard 200 in the United States. And like I mentioned, there are some radio hits too. Ragdoll, Dude Looks Like a Lady, and Angel all charted in the top 20. And today, the record has been RIAA certified five times platinum in the United States, which is five million records sold.
1: Ah, that's what that means. I always wondered what that meant. I never knew.
0: Yeah, yeah, there are different designations, and they vary from country to country, too. So when something goes like five times platinum in Canada, for instance, it's not the same as the RIAA certification in America. So there's a lot to calibrate with those stats. Mm, gotcha. But that's pretty much all I've got about the album to start off with.
1: Well, all right, then I'll see you next week.
0: <laughs> and with that behind us, it's time to move forward into the next section of the podcast. Everybody's favorite. Is it a truth? Is it a lie? Trivia game show. Fact or spin. Hey, it's
1: me, the mixtaper. I've been here the whole time. I did the intro and everything. It's been me.
0: Ha, ha, ha. Connor's running late stuck in traffic oh oh it's been you the entire time okay sneaky fella
1: yes yes it's been me the whole time i just pretended to sound like him because i can mix my voice
0: that's why the beginning of the show was so bad all right now all
1: right hang on we didn't have to get mean about it i'm sorry i didn't mean to make that personal well now i'm gonna make these facts and spins personal so good luck you're gonna need it
0: bring it on i've had a couple of okay weeks here yeah
1: that's about to change about to change
0: I think it may. I'm not even going to think that way. It's not going to change this week. I'm going to win.
1: You're not going to think that way? Think that way.
0: Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Just give me a spin. All right. Uh, (laughs) Tell me a presumably true fact, and I'll determine whether it is real or a spin. Uh, Are you hungry? Not right now, no. I've just eaten dinner. Mm, you, You might be after this one because Steven Tyler and Joe Perry met because of french fries. Ooh, delicious. Weird fact. Also, not the way I would ever have expected them to meet. Did they meet at a restaurant?
1: Yes, at Steven Tyler's favorite restaurant.
0: Ooh, is Steven Tyler's favorite restaurant, is it Wendy's?
1: It's not Wendy's. It's not Wendy's. It's Anchorage is the name of the place.
0: Okay, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. Were they eating french fries at the same time?
1: <laughs> and they locked eyes and...
0: Yeah, from across the room.
1: <laughs> time slowed down, a ballad started playing as they chomped on
0: a fry. Don't want to miss a thing started playing in the background and they went, <laughs> how's this possible? <laughs> that would have been weird. Yeah.
1: Uh No, Um. well, so Stephen was eating his meal when he decided that the french fries were the best french fries he'd ever had. Okay. And so he has to meet the chef. And lo and behold, that chef was Joe Perry. <laughs>
0: Joe Perry was the fry chef at the Anchorage restaurant. Okay, this is a great fact. What made these French fries so good? If they were the best he's ever had, surely he he's talked about what they tasted like.
1: Yeah, I mean, he just said that they were the best French fries he'd ever had. He didn't really describe why.
0: So after they met and were in a band together, did Joe Perry continue to make him fries? I would sure
1: hope so. I feel like that would have been in the contract. I don't know.
0: But actually, Perry wasn't happy to meet him no i wouldn't be either if i was at work and then steve and tyler just walked back and tried to like talk to me as i was like trying to make food that would be way like get out go well
1: one perry probably came out to meet him that's usually how it works when you ask to meet the chef
0: okay fair point
1: But also, Steven Tyler was kind of infamous in that restaurant for making a mess of his table when he ate. And Perry was usually the one that had to clean it up.
0: Well, he's the chef and the busboy? I guess. Or is he none of those things? He might be none of those things. Now, do you know how this chance meeting over a nice nice serving of oily potatoes, do you know how that conversation changed into, hey, let's play rock music together?
1: No, but I'm sure that information exists. I just... Never got around to getting that.
0: Okay. I think this is false.
1: You think this is false? I think I'm hitting you with a false fact?
0: Yeah, I'm reasonably confident that this is a spin right off the bat for some reason.
1: Reasonably confident?
0: I don't know. Yeah, I... I why would you demand to meet the chef that makes your french fries? They were really good fries! What do you want? Yeah, yeah. I understand, <laughs> but that's... I would never... I don't know if I'd request to have him come out to my table for anything I've ever eaten so far in my life. But I haven't had Joe Perry's fries.
1: And this is why the world will not remember your name.
0: My gosh, (laughs) you're getting a little too real there. I said I was going to make it personal. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. I'm locking in spin. I guess that's the end of discussion. This is a spin
1: spin. Well, what does this mean about your confidence? Because this is a fact.
0: (laughs) No, what? What? It's not. That's not good for my confidence. No, it's not. It's a true fact.
1: That's how they met.
0: My gosh, I can't even believe it. What's next?
1: Up next is a fact I can only describe as the case of the missing carrots.
0: <laughs> All right. This one's got a name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who was missing carrots? Uh, The world. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> what does this mean? Uh, Well, in 1978,
1: Aerosmith bought an enormous amount of carrots, and no one but the band members know what they did with them or where they went.
0: What? Aerosmith bought a mysterious amount of carrots? Yep. How many? How many carrots did they buy? I couldn't even find
1: the amount, just that it was an enormous amount.
0: Just enough carrots to be really notable. Yeah,
1: and nobody knows what happened to them.
0: Baby carrots, peeled or unpeeled?
1: I think it was just wholesale. They were just
0: carrots. Wholesale carrots, straight from the garden. What? Is there any information about how much they spent?
1: That's all I got for you. I found multiple sources that said this this thing happened, and none of them had any more details than what I've given you. I,
0: I hate this, and I love it all at once, because <laughs> what is this?
1: Boy, if this is a spin and you fall for it.
0: There's a spin with no detail.
1: <laughs> you make it look foolish.
0: This is another one where I'm just going to have to pick one, pick a side and stick with it, and I think this is False
1: false. you're not gonna let me get away with the lazy lie.
0: This is a spin. Yeah, I just, I just don't know. I don't understand why they would need carrots. And I get that that's the point of the the spin here, but I've got nothing.
1: Yeah, well, I've got nothing and neither does the rest of the world because this is a true fact and we don't really know what's going on with it.
0: Oh, what? (laughs) This is true?
1: Multiple sources claim. And it's even in, I think, one of the biographies or memoirs as well, just that it happened, but there's no details about it.
0: I can't even believe it. The world is missing carrots. Yeah. I'm baffled. Carrot gate. Aerosmith, if you're listening, tell us what you did with the carrots, please. Let us break this story. There's a hole in my heart now. Like, I will not rest. (laughs) I will not sleep at night until I know where those carrots went.
1: I know, right? I mean, I usually don't include facts if I can't find enough details to, like, be able to give you plenty of details about it, but I just couldn't not give you this one.
0: I mean, it's so out there. This is the weirdest true fact that we've had yet. This is the most absurd true fact. Okay, well... (laughs) I'm over two. Well,
1: my next absurd one for you is that Joe Perry once tried to buy a forest. To grow
0: more carrots.
1: Oh, oh, we're figuring it out. See, this is what you can expect on the Spin It True Crime podcast. We get in deep with the facts and we connect the dots.
0: In ways that no one else can.
1: Or ever would want to.
0: (laughs) Okay, Joe Perry buys a forest. Well, tries to. Tried to buy a forest. How did he fail to buy the forest? Didn't buy it, I assume. Oh, he just backed out. Where was the forest he was going to buy?
1: Angola, Indiana. He watched a nature documentary and decided he wanted to own a piece of nature. And so he thought he'd buy some forest property.
0: Oh, and he just liked it any idea how much like acreage
1: 151.74 acres costing 1,434,500 dollars
0: pretty steep that's uh, a hefty sum
1: and he chose indiana because it's where his wife is from
0: oh that's sweet i don't know i feel like that's it i feel like that's all there is to this fact
1: yeah i don't really have anything else of importance
0: okay i don't know what to do <laughs> Because the last couple of facts, I've just been off. I've been wrong. And on this fact, I have a similar amount of information to go on. And I'm going to have to do it again. false. I'm going spin again. You're going spin again. Don't mess up again. I don't know why Joe Perry wants a forest and I don't know why he wouldn't buy it. If he really wanted it, he could have bought it. I don't know why he would have backed out. So I'm going spin. All right.
1: Well, you're 0 for 3 because this is no, actually, this one is false.
0: Oh, good. This one is a spin. This
1: one is a spin. All right.
0: Any truth to it?
1: Yes. The Angola, Indiana 151.74 acre property for 1.4 million is available right.
0: Now you can go buy it, Spin it fans. All oh, right, today. Yeah. And his wife is from Indiana. Okay. If we pool our money, we might be able to buy this forest and give it to Joe Perry. How cool would that be?
1: And then maybe then he'll tell us the carrot story.
0: <laughs> we'll trade forest <laughs> for information, Joe Perry. Please. How weird would it be just to receive a forest from a random podcast?
1: <laughs> Up next, Aerosmith has made more money from Guitar Hero Aerosmith than from any of their albums.
0: Oh, tough, tricky. When did Guitar Hero Aerosmith? Come i 2008. All right. And they've only released 15 albums. Just to remind everybody, 15 albums in 50 years versus one video game at the peak, I think, of Guitar Hero's popularity. How many songs were on Guitar Hero Aerosmith? Yeah,
1: on Guitar Hero Aerosmith, there was it was like 41 songs, but only 29 of them were actually done by Aerosmith. There was a couple like cover songs by other bands that did covers of Aerosmith songs. And then Uh they had a bunch of songs from bands that either like toured with or opened for or heavily influenced by Aerosmith for the other songs songs.
0: How many copies of Guitar Hero Aerosmith were sold?
1: They sold 600,000 copies for about 25 million dollars and that was just in the first week. Wow. They've sold over 4 million copies to date. Wow,
0: 4 million.
1: That's compared to Aerosmith's album, *Hunting on Bobo, which came out in 2004, so that's like one of the closer records to the time of the game coming out, yeah. uh, which made only 2 million dollars and 160,000 copies its opening week. Okay. The band saw a 40% increase increase. increase in their catalog sales in the following weeks of the release of the game as well.
0: I do believe that. This is tough to judge because video games are so much more expensive than CDs and records.
1: The game is considered the best band-centric music video game across Rock band and Guitar Hero.
0: Beg to differ. I played the Beatles rock band and it was great. I just, I haven't played Aerosmith rock band though.
1: Just telling you, based on sales, it's considered the best.
0: Yeah, okay. Surprisingly, I don't have any problem believing this one is true. So I'm going to lock in true.
1: So you're going true on this one?
0: Well, because like we talked about, Aerosmith is a radio singles band a lot. A lot of their songs do well on the radio and as singles, Mm -hmm. but some of these album tracks are pretty deep cuts. So, and the fact, I mean, they've only released... 15 albums over such a long span of time. And now in the digital age, everything that they're releasing is getting streams more than it's getting sales. Plus, as a video game, it probably has a way higher profit margin than a CD. So are going with True. I'm going with true fact here.
1: This is the first one that I think you've been confident in that you've actually gotten right. It is a true fact. Really? And you were really confident and had it all logically planned out there, how it made sense. And yeah, it's a true one.
0: Yeah, good, good, good. That's not bad. All right, well, that wraps up Factor Spin. Yeah, you
1: significantly improved in the second half. You started off real shaky with those first couple of true facts, but you nailed the ending, so. They were,
0: the carrots went, what the heck? Uh,
1: well, Connor finally made it home from traffic, so. So I guess I'll give the mic back over to him and go back to uh, working on lies for for next
0: week. Yeah. All right. Well, that (laughs) wraps up factor spin. Hey, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. I wasn't going to start without you, but I just assumed the mixtape or you know how he throws his voice like he does. I thought he was you.
1: (sighs) I told him to just hop on and tell you I was running behind. It's just like him to try to steal my spot on the podcast.
0: Yeah, I know. He such he always lies to me. Not always. He sometimes tells the truth. So, Connor, if you didn't hear, we're talking about Aerosmith this week. Permanent vacation. Oh, is that who we're talking about? Yeah, that's right. So, since you're just getting here, let's tell everyone a little bit about Aerosmith, shall we? Aerosmith was formed in Boston. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to go through the whole rigmarole again. <laughs> Let's take a look at cover art on this record. It's pretty simple. It's a black background. Aerosmith's got their nice neon yellow logo in the middle. It says permanent vacation. And in the background are all these red shapes. There's a luau girl in a lay. There's some cards and snakes and a big guitar, some cigarette butts and a lot of money, spiders, you name it. It's kind of a hodgepodge of this sex, drugs, rock and roll imagery.
1: Yeah, it's a really pretty album art. It's probably the prettiest one we've done.
0: It's very well designed, yeah.
1: Yeah, the red and gold yellowish colors kind of match our podcast colors
0: that's true i really do like the color scheme here
1: what's your favorite little art graphic on it oh uh, I, th- I think i'm partial to the like hula girl i think that's a that's a nice touch
0: yeah especially since this record gives off some caribbean vibes in it that we'll talk about but i don't know i think i really just like all the dice that are scattered about there are a lot of pairs of dice all around and i had the dice are cool too All the dice, I'm looking at them, it looks like all the dice add up to seven. They are all turned to seven. That's the most common number that you can roll (laughs) on a pair of dice. That's the number that you need to win in craps, if I'm correct. Anyway, just to sum it up, it's a good vibes album cover. It really encapsulates the spirit of the late 80s, I think. It's just got that feel to it. The the font that they write their logo in is phenomenal. And it just kind of all adds up for me. Looks like a fun rock and roll record right from the start. I think it's up there for favorite album art that we've done so far. I can understand that i support that decision and with that just kind of jump into song number one you know it hearts, heart's done, done time. time so hearts done time tells a pretty simple story there's a guy that wants a girl but her man is still in the picture so his heart does time as he waits but soon enough circumstances change and then his heart does time like a prisoner in a jail cell because he gets trapped in this relationship that he doesn't want to be in anymore that's all there is to the story
1: you say that's all like that's not a crazy like story you know
0: no it is it's crazy and it's good there's a lot that's conveyed in two short little verses i don't know it it starts weird it yeah it starts with this tornado siren type sound and it fades you into the whole album with this really cacophonous drone of a noise it's strange
1: it's a weird noise and it starts so quiet it crescendos so much like when it first started i had to double check that i actually hit play because like i I didn't hear it at first
0: (laughs) yeah it fades in from dead silence but it slowly starts to hone in on that chord and the guitar in the background and then steven tyler does his world famous frontman thing he does this little vocalization at the beginning and screams and the guitar opens wide up and is full throttle that really just jump starts you right into the whole thing now i do have a couple questions about the lyrics sure i don't know if i can answer them but i could try is
1: this woman supposed to be a prostitute good question because in the first verse you have right around midnight he was gone saw her red light she left it on she left it on you know the red light district like hmm.
0: yeah if there's one thing high school english class taught me it's symbolism and red lights often mean some raunchy symbolism it kind of
1: fits the story right A, a prostitute who already has a man
0: yep i gotta do time and wait for that to not be the case and then to get too attached and then to say oh no there's a reason for these chains it's like we suffer to ease the pain my heart's in jail and I can't get free it definitely feels like he's trapped in a kind of hopeless situation
1: yeah it's an interesting one yeah in terms of the song itself I don't know it's, it's all right I feel like Aerosmith's a very like hit or miss okay like when they have a good song it's a great song mm-hmm But if it's not one of those, it's just meh. Like they don't necessarily have anything that's awful that like I hear it. I'm like, I got to turn that off. But it's either just vanilla or it's greatness. You know, there's no middle road
0: there. Vanilla is a good word for it. Yes, because a lot of this album felt vanilla. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's a good album opener. I think it's very high energy. I really love the rock and roll behind it. There's a cool guitar riff that kind of follows every vocal line that he sings. And that's just a testament to Joe Perry. He can really hang with the best of them. Yeah, it sets the tone well. And then there's this part at the end of the second verse. Tyler goes, can't, can't, can't get free. He really screams it. And it's just so good. It's just a rock out moment for me. Yeah. So I think you're right that it's a vanilla song, and the lyrics are kind of just lukewarm at best, but it's fun. And I think that's what I've found with most of the album, is that it's really enjoyable to listen to, even if I don't necessarily get a lot out of it. Like, we've had a lot of albums that have been trying to make a point or say something deep and meaningful, and for the most part, this record isn't that. This is just people in a band having a good old time and letting us rock out with them.
1: Yeah. I almost want to compare them to Kings of Leon's album, where I said that their music was good to just kind of have on in the background. Like, all of these songs make great songs to just kind of listen to while maybe you're working on something or Mm -hmm. doing chores around the house, but it doesn't, like, pull you in and hold your attention like some of the other albums we've done.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. And it feels a lot, too, like these songs would gain a lot from being played live. You know what I mean?
1: That's also true. These would be... Yeah, I feel like they'd be great to listen to live. Yeah. I mean, they are, and they are great people. Love listening to them live. But it would definitely help the songs, I agree. Yeah. Uh, The next song is probably one of their more
0: popular ones that's on the album. Yeah, a little bit. Track number two is Magic Touch. And this is another one that was a radio single that would achieve moderate levels of success. It's a
1: good one. It reached like top 20 or something, didn't
0: it? Yeah, it got pretty high up there. Magic Touch did reach the top 20 on the US Hot 100. One of the
1: ones that I've heard on my playlists.
0: Yeah, and I really do understand that in the chorus. However, the the verses are rough.
1: Yeah, the chorus is really good. You're right. The verses are... The verses are there.
0: (laughs) The lyrics on the verses don't seem to pertain to the chorus. I understand that magic touch is the hook. That's the thing you're going for. But the rest of the verses just feel totally irrelevant to it. You know, he says, Somebody better call a doctor. I'm with you. Sure, magic touch, heal me. Or wake me up with a shove. I'm gonna knock you off your rocker because I think I'm in love. That doesn't feel like I need a magic touch. You know what I mean? That feels like somebody better snap me out of it. I'll beat you up. I'm in love. I don't know. It just doesn't feel connected.
1: Well, I feel like the magic touch... I feel like it's about a person, right? He needs the magic touch from, like, maybe a woman.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's pining for someone. He's
1: naming a lot of things that would, like, snap you back to reality or wake you up. Things that are going to make a drastic energy change. But call the doctor or give me a shove. I don't need no wedding with a shotgun. I I feel like a lot of these are supposed to be... It'd be like saying somebody pinch me, basically, but a lot of weird metaphors for it. (laughs) That's kind of the vibe I got.
0: Okay, yeah, I can see that angle where he's saying, I don't want to feel this way. snap me out of it. Give me your magic touch even though the magic... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a total subversion of what we would normally think of the magic touch being. Like with the woman you love or the person that you're with they've got the magic touch that keeps you there but he needs the magic touch to get him away from it. Alright, I can get with that. I didn't think about that when I listened to it and that does make a lot of sense.
1: I don't do that often on the podcast. Happy to help. (laughs) It's true. You,
0: (laughs) You don't make a lot of sense very
1: often. Don't get used to it, audience.
0: Yeah. This song is so immediately slower than Heart Stun Time and it feels feels way more melodic too. Now, like you said, the song did get popular, but Steven Tyler says that this song got too stupid commercial for his liking, but he's still proud of it. You know, he still considers it a good addition to the record.
1: It's kind of like Teen Sprite from last week. Two weeks. They kind of got
0: sick of it. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit like Teen Spirit (laughs) in that way. I do love the chords that he uses in the chorus. They do a really great job of building this tension and then they drop the bottom out from under the melody because, you know, the whole melody of the chorus goes down and down. And then on the verses, he launches way up high. It's like a, the whole song feels like a slow roller coaster of going up and down in terms of tension, you know? Yeah. I think the song has a nice bridge, too. What
1: makes something a bridge?
0: Usually a bridge represents the point in a song where there's a shift in the lyrical themes. In
1: the style? Yeah. Oh, in the lyrics?
0: A bridge, yeah. A bridge a lot of times will be a change in the musical style, so it won't either use the same chords or melody that you've heard before. Yeah and or it will represent a shift in the lyrics. You know, like sometimes a bridge will pivot in a different direction than the rest of the song was leading.
1: That's kind of what I thought it was.
0: Yeah, and that'll just keep things from getting boring or present a big reveal. So It's just
1: a pivot, either musically or lyrically, from the rest of the song.
0: And what I loved about this song is this was a song with a proper fade out. Last week with Dua Lipa, we had so many hard stops, and maybe this one just stuck out to me because we were coming fresh off of that. But it was so nice to hear a song properly fade out with the end energy level still up. You know, that was that was a good change. <laughs>
1: the next song, if not getting the vote for favorite song, probably gets the vote for most catchy song. Yeah, I think Ragdoll is probably the catchiest song on the album. And it's definitely up there for my favorite. Probably because it's so catchy.
0: Ragdoll (laughs) was one of the first Aerosmith songs that I knew. My mom was a big fan of this song. So it was one of the first Aerosmith tracks that I had any exposure to. So it's pretty well ingrained in my brain, too. It was originally called by a different name. The band initially wanted to call the song Ragtime, and it had a different chorus. And it was based around the slightly like ragtime feel that it has. But their co-writer suggested renaming it because he didn't think ragtime was uh, quote unquote sexy enough. And it's not. Ragtime is not a sexy name.
1: And so he thought a doll was better?
0: Uh, it's different. (laughs) He didn't have an issue with the sexiness of rags,
1: but time, well, no, you gotta replace time with doll.
0: You're right. The rag part was plenty sexy already. (laughs) Yeah, there's jokes to be made there that we'll just leave on the table. You can hear the remnants, though. You can still hear the artifacts from when it was called Ragtime because they have so many allusions to these Ragtime era tropes. Yeah. He talks repeatedly about Tin Lizzy, which are the old Model T type cars he says speakeasies and moonshine one of the lyrics says tried to tell me of an old dream a new version of the old scene mm-hmm. he talks about shuffling in a shoe shine, living in a movie and there's this jazzy outro at the end with the clarinet and the scat it's pretty nice it's, it's very old-timey with a 1980s twist
1: it's a great song
0: yeah it is it's got an awesome drum beat and the lead guitar is just always on point so good it's just also
1: so sing-alongable
0: yeah and it's because that repeating run you know living in a movie, mm-hmm. it, you get that over and over and over again. Um, bum,
1: yeah.
0: And there's some really great slide guitar that happens in the background. It's it's also got this, like, bluesy undertone to it a little bit that they play around with. And the brass section, it's just the perfect complement to everything. It really only plays that one note, you know, most of the choruses, but it adds so much to the song.
1: I, I just, I was a little curious about the title change, and so I looked it up. They only changed one line in the chorus in order to rename it to Ragdoll.
0: Yeah, I know. They didn't have to mess with it very much at all. What do you think about the lyric? One of my favorite lyrics on the whole album is this image of tap dancing on a landmine. How crazy. I mean, what a cool visual.
1: Living on the edge, you know, being risky, being foolish, maybe. That's a different
0: Aerosmith song.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I wish I could say I made that reference on purpose. (laughs) It
0: is that, yeah, that riskiness, that carefree, I don't know. It's just a really fun line, I think. And this is another awesome guitar solo too. It's not really melodic like anything we saw with Nirvana or otherwise, but it's got this really dynamic, almost vocal quality to it at the same time. Joe Perry plays the guitar really well. I almost
1: wonder if... This isn't going to hold, but the first three songs on the album kind of could be telling
0: a story. They do seem that way, don't they?
1: Right, because we got Heart's Done Time. We already talked about it, it kind of sounds like he's talking about a prostitute. Then we got Magic Touch, and he felt trapped in that relationship with the prostitute. And then in this one, there's the line about leaving out the back door and being risky and crazy. I don't know. just There's a theme there that could be going throughout the songs. I don't think it'll probably hold, but it's at least there for now.
0: They do use some very similar lyrical themes to build their songs around, and they do fit together almost like a puzzle piece on this first quarter of the record. What'd you think about the Steven Tyler scat at the end? That was Steven Tyler scatting. scooby dee Dap bop Okay.
1: I mean, it fit the song. It wasn't like, oh my
0: God, he's amazing. Well, no. I just think it's weird to hear it if you're not expecting it. Listen, it's no Casey Musgraves yodeling, all right? You're right, it's not. Oh, actually, though, on that note, do you know that Steven Tyler did go solo and release a country album in 2015, 16-ish? That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I listened to it. And uh, that's all I have to say about it. All right. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) It does exist. Yes. So the next track, track four, is Simariah. I think, personally, this song seems to be way underrated. People don't seem to like it. The band seems lukewarm about it. And I don't get that. Joe Perry didn't like this one at all. Joe Perry says that it doesn't go anywhere. And I guess I do agree with that. There's very little build to it. You know, like some of the other songs, like I said, they were a roller coaster. This one doesn't really have that ebb and flow. That's true. However, I think it's got a lot of staying power for me. It's memorable. Yeah, I would definitely
1: put this song in the upper half. I don't think it quite makes top three, but it's definitely in the upper half of the album.
0: I was thinking about that, too, and I don't know. It's close to the middle for me. Whether it's upper or lower, I can't tell, but it's certainly not at the bottom. Well, first of all, let's talk about the title for a second. Simariah. Not something you hear every day. It's Hebrew in origin, and it roughly translates to goddess of subtlety. And that's kind of evolved into a word that refers to someone with, like, a beautiful personality.
1: So this prostitute you've fallen in love with has a beautiful personality.
0: I mean, I guess if you're going to keep trying to make it fit the theme. I'm not trying. Listen, I'm not trying
1: to. fits all right that's not even a stretch i mean i've done some stretches that one's not one
0: no it's not too bad yeah he's with a woman that's got this beautiful personality who's got a slice of the sky on a silver wedge
1: or maybe this is a new woman after he got out
0: it feels like a new woman the song starts with this great guitar arpeggio and it carries on throughout the song i like that a lot the lyrics on this one are pretty interesting are they i thought they're kind of simple yeah some of them walk in the line of a razor's edge take it as far as she goes i think the line counting the eyes of a dragonfly is pretty cool i did flag that line to talk about yeah counting the eyes of a dragonfly calling on dreams from within
1: how many eyes do you think a dragonfly has
0: i've never counted however my instincts are telling me two. except there are probably some one-eyed dragonflies out there between zero and two are the eyes of a dragonfly
1: aren't like insect eyes made up of a bunch of staggered lenses flies and stuff they have a ton of them
0: how many do you think they have i've looked it up oh oh you you actually know how many eyes dragonflies have Uh uh-huh 84. Dragonflies have two
1: large compound eyes, each with thousands of lenses, and three eyes with simple lenses. So they actually have five eyes in total.
0: Oh, they have five eyes? What? Yeah. I bet you didn't think you'd be learning about dragonfly eyes when you clicked on this music podcast. Very interesting. (laughs) Who knew? I guess I need to spend more time counting the eyes on dragonflies.
1: Maybe that's why he brought it up. He's like, Maybe he learned that statistic, and he was like, guys, why aren't more people talking
0: about this? song? I need to bring awareness to the (laughs) dragonfly eye. I don't know. Lyrically, yeah, that's about the best that it gets lyrically. But melodically, those lyrics fit into such a clean melody. The cleanest we've had yet, I think. And then I love how the chorus widens out. Like it takes us from this crunchy, up-close view and backs into this huge open sound. He just like yells that first note at the beginning that fits it perfectly. That big, oh, dude looks like a lady. We're getting there. We're getting there. Sorry. Yes, um Simaria <laughs> Fades out. And then we pop into definitely a quintessential Aerosmith rock track.
1: Yeah. I I don't know if I'm being a vanilla fan by saying this, but it's another one of my upper echelon songs.
0: I don't know. Maybe the Blue Army will come after you. Speak kindly.
1: I I feel like I'm siding with the Blue Army, maybe.
0: Yeah. I'll get you a jean jacket.
1: Dude, I would love a spinach. Can we do spinach jean jackets? That'd be cool. That would
0: be (laughs) actually pretty cool. I I think this is a track that most people who don't even know the band too well are probably going to recognize. I'm guessing you already knew about this song before you listened to the album.
1: No, never heard of it.
0: Oh, what a surprise.
1: (laughs) No, yeah, this is definitely one of their more popular songs.
0: Yeah. Now, a lot of titles on our past songs have tricked you into thinking the songs were about something else. But how about this for a nice straightforward title?
1: full disclosure. Disclose fully. As I was listening to this, I just glanced over to see what the next one was. And it said, I saw the word dude. Yeah. And so I just and then looked back. I was like, okay, this one's called dude. And then the song started and I was very confused. I was like, this isn't dude. This is looks like a lady. And then I was like, oh, wait, looks like a lady is also dude.
0: Oh, so you knew the song. You didn't realize it was called dude looks like a lady. You thought it was just called looks like a lady. And you thought there was a separate song called dude.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's a common thing with me where I'll recognize songs, but I have no idea who sings
0: them or what they're called.
1: I'll just be like, oh yeah, I know that song. I like that song. I've heard it because I listen to so many mixtapes, you know.
0: Unless it's Elton John. I
1: can pick Elton John. Yeah, I can.
0: You can pick Elton John out like he's a drop of blood in the water and you're a shark. Oh man, I can't believe you got him on Kanye the other week. (laughs)
1: But yeah, a lot of times I don't really know who's singing the song or what the song's called because I just heard it on one of my playlists and this is one of those examples.
0: Yeah, okay, fair enough. It is in parentheses for some reason, which no one calls the song Dude, right? I feel like everybody finishes out.
1: I'm going to call it that from now on.
0: Okay, dude. My favorite Aerosmith song is Dude. Yeah, you're going to get some weird looks. (laughs) Well, this song is based on a real experience that Steven Tyler had. He walked into a bar and he mistook Vince Neil, the lead singer of Motley Crue, for a woman on account of his long hair. You know, they didn't call it hair metal for nothing. And like Ragdoll, this song almost had a different title. Cruisin' for the Ladies. Oh. Cruisin' for the Ladies is what they wanted to call it.
1: Did they change the lyrics for this one too? It was originally supposed to be
0: Cruisin' for the Ladies. ba da ba da that's exactly how it was supposed to go. And yet again, the decision to bring in co-writers on this album paid off because their co-writer said, no, 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 that's a boring title. No one's going to listen to a song called Cruising for the Ladies.
1: But they'll listen to Dude Looks Like a Lady. That'll get them.
0: <laughs> yeah, he, he asked them what, what was the song supposed to be. And Steven Tyler admitted that it was about Vince Neil and seeing a dude that looked like a lady. And he said, oh, that's a way better title. Go with that.
1: I'm starting to think these, these co-writers, man, they're all about dolls And I don't know, making some interesting decisions. They're
0: working. They're working. Yes.
1: If I was brought in to work on Aerosmith's album, I don't know if I'd be like, you know, you're pretty generic, but normal sounding title. I got something way better than that. Dude looks like a lady.
0: Flip it on its head. How about that? (laughs) It turns into this song about a gent who goes to a strip club only to find out that the lady he's been checking out is, you know, a dude. And I don't know if that concept has necessarily aged well into today, given the way that, like, society's attitudes towards gender and sex work has changed. However, I think if you keep this song in its 1987 context and consider the real life inspiration behind it, it might not be, like, awful.
1: (laughs) I think this song is about the prostitute being a vampire you gotta get off that (laughs) she's a long lost love at first bite i mean come on sounds like a vampire to me I think he pays the dude some compliments, though. He said that he had a body like Venus.
0: Oh, he certainly does. Body like Venus. And says she blew him away. He's having the time of his life. Yeah. Never judge a book by its cover. I imagine Steven
1: Tyler was either drunk or on drugs when he made this mistake. Probably. I mean. But you said it happened in a bar, right? Or, uh,
0: Yeah, I believe it happened in a bar. Yeah. Uh,
1: if he's in a bar and about the time this song came out. Yeah, it's, he had to have been, at the very least, intoxicated in some manner. I was guarantee it.
0: Well, musically, too, Aerosmith brings all that they've got on this song. It starts out with this guitar and the bass. It's got like a real flat quality. Not flat in a tonal sense, you know, like flat sharp, but just a really dry quality to it. It really pops, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it starts out with this classic Steven Tyler whale, as <laughs> usual.
1: Signature whale.
0: Yep. Now, this song takes the horns that were in Ragdoll and totally expands upon them. They get a whole proper horn section here. The brass really goes to town.
1: And it's great. Love me a horn section.
0: Yeah, it ties the whole thing together. I think this is the catchiest melody on the record so far, right off the bat. It's it's up there. It's up there with... Uh, at least for the verse.
1: I think Ragdoll's so catchier. I think the, the, the melody gets stuck in your head better, or at least for me.
0: It's, it's close. It's almost a toss-up.
1: The rhythm to this one is catchier. I think the dude looks like a lady. Like, that part's really catchy. Yeah. But the entire, like, melody of Ragdoll, I think, is catchier.
0: Yeah. I like how they give you the chorus at the beginning. They just tease you a little bit with it. And then they do two verses back to back and really make you wait for it. And he's got some really tight wordplay in this one, too. One of the lines says her picture graced the grime on the door. She's a long lost love at first bite. Baby, maybe you're wrong, but you know it's all right. I love that sequence of lines. It tells you so much about the setting. It's got some great consonants. Grace, the grime, long lost love. And we've got this like weird love at first bite. And then he goes, baby, maybe there's a lot of internal rhyme. I feel like that line just does everything right. Interesting. can go from screaming (laughs) to a really normal reserved voice on that second part of the verse in no time, you know? It's so impressive. Steven Tyler's got great vocal chops. He just can go to town. I also think this guitar solo is the best one on the record. Pretty much hands down, no competition. It complements the song perfectly, and it gets to the high end of the neck and the low end too, all in the same couple measures. So I think it just works really well.
1: You know what doesn't work well?
0: What doesn't work well?
1: St. John. I did not care for that song really No.
0: saint john track six is not a rock and roll track necessarily it's it's really a blues
1: i mean i did like the blues vibe i did like the blues vibe i guess i should take that back they 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 had the blues vibe going for them it's one of those songs that just i don't know i I just didn't care
0: for it it's an afterthought song yeah yeah i was kind of like why is this here it's an interesting inclusion i think it's definitely here to kind of be an homage to the blues music that they kind of based themselves around in their early years it's pretty gritty there's There's the cymbal and the fuzzy guitar, and there's this healthy amount of delay on the vocal. It's a different vibe, for sure. The tone on this song has shifted from the rest of the record. Lyrically, there's not much to this song. Essentially, it just describes this pious man and the sacrifices that he's actively making to try and amass a following. He's got this pressure to constantly be cool, and every day he lays down upon the sword, but we don't ever really figure out what for. You know, we just hear about the ways that he's struggling... And we don't ever really get any resolution for it. Yeah. It's different. It's totally different in subject matter than the rest of the album, for starters. And it's just also different in the way that they bring it to us. But there are some really tight harmonies on the chorus. Some of these other songs have had harmonies that are okay, or they're not super in tune. Like Heart's Done Time, I think, didn't have the most tuned up harmonies. But on this song, they're really tight, and they're really almost psychedelic in the way that they edit them. They just really pop a lot. They do end this one in a unique way, though. Instead of fading everything out, it ends with this instrumental that's really frantic with TV and radio sounds.
1: Yeah, I didn't care for that either.
0: I guess, you know, doesn't work for everybody. I liked it. And then it slowly takes away instruments and deconstructs the song until we're left with nothing but bongos at the end. So it's different than a normal fade out. I did like the bongos. Yeah, it's a nice touch. Classic bongos. Tasteful bongos. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we go from St. John, this more unusual track, right into Hangman Jury, which is another song that almost feels like a departure from everything on the first half of the record, too.
1: But I liked this one.
0: Yeah, this one's different in its own way. It's their Western song. It feels very cowboy-y. It's like a Western bluegrass, kind of. You're going for use of bluegrass again? You tried to do that in another episode. I don't know, is this one right? Not is this one right? It's closer to bluegrass than what you were talking about before. Isn't yeah I feel like
1: bluegrass is kinda like a weird older country rock style.
0: I don't know. Maybe. It's way less rock. Think like hillbilly country. That's bluegrass. Like banjos. and
1: Yeah, but this has like the harmonica go in and stuff. And, and I feel like... It's closer. You're getting closer. I'm getting closer. One of these days, I'll get the bluegrass, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this feels Western and, and cowboy-y with the harmonica and stuff. It's it's almost another tribute to their blues affinity. And I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. It's about a man who shoots his complaining wife and has to face the consequences. Now, I thought the hook on this one was really good. Whoa, boy, don't you line the tracks? It's a great hook, and he modifies it. It sounds like a train chugging down the tracks as he does it. Yeah. A fun fact, he took this from an old folk song, thinking that it was public domain. Really? Yeah, thinking that anyone could use it because it was old enough and no one owned it. However, it wasn't, and they had to arrange for royalties to go to the band that first officially released it way back in 1962. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, he kind of based this whole song around that song, which is called, appropriately, Line and Track. And so a lot of the lyrics are references to that, including Stand on the Rock that Moses Stood, Don't You Line the Track, Me and My Old Lady Talking About the Money I Ain't Made. All of that stuff either comes directly from or is a twisted, manipulated version of that folk song.
1: What was the word used uh, the other week? that's like a an interpolation or and then yes
0: yes exactly good 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 you're getting it i couldn't remember the term but i knew it existed that's that's the start that's how it begins <laughs> this story is so cool though because unlike everything else we've had this one actually has characters really outside of the speaker you know some of these other songs have like multiple people in them but this one actually builds out this world that it does I think they really start to get good at storytelling in the second verse and beyond. You know, this song has an actual narrative thread through it. The protagonist claims that he was drinking and can't remember, and he says he didn't know the 45 was loaded. Quote, that's not to say she didn't get what she deserved, but, like, he really starts to tell this story and give us the sense that he's pleading with this hangman jury. And I'm never a big fan of inserting a recorded laugh into songs. I'm not totally out of it on this one, but it's borderline. Is that something
1: that happens often?
0: Oh, yeah, you you hear it all the time. Songs where they, like laugh on the song but it sounds really fake oh oh yeah oh, oh, I'm oh, pretty right. sure even Dua Lipa did it once or twice
1: I don't know why when you said recorded laugh my brain went laugh track
0: laugh track this song does <laughs> not get a laugh track anywhere
1: that's why I was so confused
0: I was like what <laughs> no just Steven Tyler doing a little ha, ha 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 like I don't know I don't know not my thing
1: so like what about in like crazy train you like it in that one uh
0: that one it fits a little better so like, all aboard ah. Yeah, Uh, that one doesn't feel as, that one doesn't feel as forced as most of the other ones do. And this one is borderline. This one's just barely okay for me. I don't know. I usually don't go for that.
1: I think I figured out why I like this song. Yeah, what's that? Because, okay, so I'm going to take you and the audience back to episode one. Billy Joel. Ooh. One of my favorite parts about that album was
0: Cadillacacacac.
1: Sure. And that's very similar to what they do here in verse three with boy, when you line the track, a
0: Yeah, you're right. It is the same ugly sound that's used multiple times.
1: <laughs> they also found a way to use the ax sound differently.
0: Multiple times. They're, I don't want to say it. I'm not going to say it. So what are you about to say? Come on. They're releasing their inner gold bloom and finding a way. Life finds a way. Aerosmith finds, finds a way. way.
1: Their inner gold bloom. Let's see. I need you to come around to the inner gold bloom theme. Whatever.
0: <laughs> I'm just going to say that every time something finds a way. Uh, not something. Life. Life. Only when life finds a way. And of course, at the end of the day, our protagonist sees justice done and is sentenced to hang for his crimes the next day. Classic cowboy song trope. Which is a clever
1: play on... Because, you know, you got, like, a hung jury, right? Is when, like, they can't make a decision. hmm But then you got Hangman's jury, which is a jury trying to decide whether not to hang a man. And a lot of the songs, he's trying to plead yep. with them to get them not to... Yeah, I don't know. It felt like a nice not really metaphor but it's
0: a good narrative. That's what it is. It's a good story compacted into one little song. Yeah. And instead of a guitar solo on this one, we get kind of a harmonica solo in its stead. It's a good change. I like it. And then of course, this one ends as any good cowboy song should with a lot of frogs. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of cro- a lot of croaking going on at the end. <gasps> croaking! Maybe it's to symbolize because how she's the guy's going to croak. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think we're reading too far into anything they intended with that, but but we come out of this really weird death ballad of a cowboy straight into track number eight, Girl Keeps Coming Apart. And like, okay, that trip's over, right back to rocking out. You know, we have a... It's really the whole middle of the album that dips down into this experimental blues part. This song takes on a weird structure. There's not really any verses or choruses, and it's just built around the Girl Keeps Coming Apart refrain.
1: Yeah, I didn't care for it. I don't know.
0: It's got a nice opening guitar, though.
1: Yeah, every, like, four lines is... But the girl keeps coming apart. And, I mean, some of the other songs have been somewhat repetitive, but not that bad, I don't think. Nothing like this. Like I get it. She's coming apart. What else is happening? Tell me more. Put her back together. Save her. Put her back together. Get all the king's horses, all the king's men. Get her put back together. They couldn't do it with an egg. They might be able to do it with a woman. That's
0: right. <laughs> yeah, this is a more than four-minute song, and it's strange that they made it so long and so repetitive. I mean, yeah, it's... Yeah. I think it's just a fun song, though. It's not very weighty, but it's also not a rock and roll song like the rest. Much like Dua Lipa, the band envisioned this as a dance class, but Joe Perry said that it often went over the heads of the rock and roll fan base who wanted them to do more rock and roll, you know.
1: Wanted them to rock and roll? Okay, yeah, that
0: that that tracks. Yeah, surprise, surprise. Steven Tyler has a few really weird talking sections here of, like, spoken word, and they feel very forced. I guess they're not necessarily bad, but I just don't like them, and they do take me right out of the song. Yeah. There is one cool point where everything cuts out except for the bass, and you get to really hear how the bass has been moving throughout the entire song, and I like that. It's a good way to turn your attention to the instrument so that you can follow the thread through the end of the song. But other than that, it's another song that really doesn't go anywhere. You know, like Joe Perry talked about with Simmeriah. This song also does not have much movement to it.
1: And I feel like it doesn't go anywhere. I feel like, unlike Simaria, this one goes nowhere even more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it goes even less places than nowhere. <laughs> yeah, and then it has this really, really hard stop. Like, you hit a brick wall. It just dies. It doesn't do it for me. This song is okay, but I don't know if I'd call this one a great song. I agree. The next song, however, you're going to have a hard time convincing anybody that it's not a pretty great song. It's track number nine, Angel, another Aerosmith Essential. This is the most powerful of power ballads.
1: I mean... I I don't know if this is going to be a surprise to anyone who's been paying attention to my musical tastes, but this is my favorite song on the album.
0: Oh, I'm so shocked. You wouldn't be alone in saying that, I'm betting, because Angel is their second biggest hit to this day, right behind Don't Want to Miss a Thing, which is, of course, the wedding and high school dance staple. Another great power ballad. Yeah, it is. It's held up pretty well, too. Don't Want to
1: Miss a Thing is another one of my favorite Aerosmith songs.
0: They, just, they do power ballads so well. Yeah. Now, here's a fun fact about this song. This song features an instrument called a Mellotron. Have you ever heard of the Mellotron? No. It was invented in 1963. Basically, it's a sampler that uses physical tape instead of digital sound. So it looks like a keyboard, but inside the keyboard, instead of normal like piano wires, there are rolls of tape, like a cassette tape. And when you press on the key, it activates the tape, which winds up and plays a recording recorded note of an instrument. For example, you would record, say, a C note on the flute onto a tape. And when you would hit the key on the piano, it would play that C note on the tape. So you'd always have the same recorded sound playing, but it would sound different every time because of the way the tape would wobble or the way that it would get drawn up at different speeds.
1: Huh. Yeah. It was like an, it was like a weird way of getting a less digitally sounding. What's that? What's that called? Just like samples? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, there's this thing nowadays called MIDI, and that's where you can play virtual instruments with a real keyboard input. Or, you know, just by putting notes on a grid, you can make it make the right sound that you want. This is like an analog version of that. That's really cool. I don't know. I just thought it was really cool that they recorded part of the song on what's basically 32 cassette tape players at once. (laughs) Like, very neat. That's awesome. great song it's true that opening guitar solo actually to me it sounds like two guitars playing the same notes but they're an octave apart either that or it's one 12 string guitar which has that feature built into it either way there's the high end of the melody and the low end of the melody at the same time and it's such a full sound it really rounds out the sonic profile of the song yeah and after that guitar intro it brings it way way down and there's this really nice echo on Steven Tyler's voice he stays in this really assertive part of his vocal range and puts a lot of power Behind it. He just blasts these lyrics. It's such a good vocal performance. The pre-chorus, there's a great parallel between the music and the lyrics. I want your love, let's break the walls between us. Like the the instruments all hit on the beats of Don't Make It Tough, I'll put away my pride. It follows the words very, very well. And you said you wanted to hear Steven Tyler yodel instead of scat, right? He almost gets to yodeling at the end of this chorus. There's some really huge jumps at the end of the choruses. <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah there are some huge jumps like a rock and roll version of yodeling maybe that's why it's my
0: favorite yeah kind of like a rock and roll yodel A uh, roldle all right don't ever say that <laughs> word again roldle yeah that one that you just said again i really like the punchiness of the second verse when it comes in don't know what i'm gonna do it just comes out of nowhere and i like that a lot
1: i don't know i feel like i don't there's nothing as you kind of said at the top of the album there's nothing like profound necessarily about any of these songs it's a Darn good power ballad. And I think it's mainly the music. I mean, the the words are okay, but the music is just so powerful.
0: Absolutely. Okay, it's time again for my weekly complain like Connor moment. (laughs) At the end of this song, they just repeat, come and save me tonight, a lot. And it just felt like a bit of a, a long ending to the song. It felt very indulgent. Like, they could have ended it earlier, but they just wanted to keep going, so they were like, mm, all right, let's do it. Yeah, I know, I agree. But still a good ending, still a great song, and again, one of the ones that performed really well off of this album. And we follow up the highest of highs, the second best-selling Aerosmith song of all time, with Permanent Vacation, the title track. And it's a wild one.
1: Yeah. I like it.
0: I do too honestly. It's it's a groove. Talking about like lesser
1: known songs. I mean there's a isn't there another song called Permanent Vacation by a different group?
0: Um yeah, recently 5 Seconds of Summer released a song called Permanent Vacation and that's kind of in the zeitgeist right now.
1: Maybe that's what it is.
0: Well, either way, that's not the one we're talking about. We're talking about Permanent Vacation. Yeah.
1: No, I really liked, I think this one falls in the category of title songs that lived up to being the title song. Okay. I mean, it's not like the standout song, but I don't think this album would be good if it was, I don't, I don't think the title Angel is a good title for the song, you know, or anything like that. Like, no, it's a good album title and it's a decent enough song to be the title song. So yeah.
0: I like that. That fits. Now, it starts off with all these animal noises, monkeys and jungle sounds. That was a weird thing. It was. (laughs) I mean, if you're on vacation,
1: I guess maybe it's a jungle vacation. I don't know.
0: It did feel very Caribbean, especially when you combined it with the steel drum, which is not something you hear every day.
1: I love steel drums. I
0: do, too. And they just don't come up a lot in any music.
1: I was going to make a Little Mermaid joke.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, they come up a lot in Under the Sea, haha. <laughs> they do come up a lot within their genre, but they don't get outside of that very much.
1: In college, I went to every steel drum band
0: concert. That's cool. I wish I could have done that. I guess I could have. I wish I knew about that. It's just very tropical vibes. It's a clever addition to the song thematically, and it's a great addition to the song sonically as well. So props to them. There's a line in this song that says, my nose is clean and I don't need no sedation. A reference to them cleaning up their act as they recorded the record and and put it out. So, you know, good for them. Yeah. (laughs) This song, I think the verses are like forgettable at best but the chorus is just a really fun one. It's a totally new flavor on this record. Yeah. <laughs> In my notes, I wrote, he really, 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 really needs it, doesn't he? He <laughs> must really need this.
1: Uh, I have a feeling you're really gonna like talking about the next one.
0: That's true. I am. The penultimate track, track number 11, is I'm Down. Now, it's a Beatles cover, actually.
1: I feel like that's why you'd be super excited about it because you're a huge Beatles fan.
0: That's true. I am a big Beatles fan, and so is Steven Tyler, which is what led to this being on the record. This is Aerosmith's second Beatles cover. They also covered Come Together before this one. The original song came out in 1965. It was a non-album b-side to Help. It was on the other side of a very popular record. A number one hit, actually, Help was. And pretty much Aerosmith covers the song exactly like the Beatles did it. It's a little bit more of that Aerosmith edge.
1: Yeah, did the Beatles scream at the end?
0: Yes. Did they really? Yeah, Paul McCartney I mean as much as you could scream in 1965 and get away with. Oh, he really goes for it. And so Steven Tyler pays great homage to the Beatles by really keeping in step with them. Everything down to the organ that plays that solo. I really
1: thought that was going to just be a
0: joke. No, it wasn't a joke. It's legitimate. It's really impressive that they pulled off such a good cover that keeps so much of the spirit of the original. Because obviously, the Beatles and Aerosmith, they are not bands that are cut necessarily from the same cloth.
1: Not from the same cloth, but apparently from the same clothing store. Right.
0: Yeah, sure. Like Marshalls. They both came from Marshalls. Marshalls. You
1: can get fabric in Marshalls, right? I don't know. Where do you get? Is Marshalls where you get fabric? I don't know where you get fabric. Called. I think
0: it's insulting to Steven Tyler to say that Aerosmith is a Marshalls rock band. <laughs> <laughs> like deeply... <laughs>
1: No, you're right, they're not, but a lot of this album might be.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. I really don't have too much to say about I'm down. At least for Aerosmith, they didn't write it it is just a cover and it's a good cover, but yeah, you know, essentially it's just about a sad man. Great song, quality cover.
1: Uh, I don't have much more to say either, so I want to move on to the final song.
0: Let's talk about track number 12, The Movie. It's the only instrumental song on the album. And in fact, it's the first instrumental song that we've talked about on this podcast.
1: Yeah, and I like instrumental songs. This is an interesting one to be our first.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is, because it's a strange way to close the record, I think.
1: Yes, it is. I don't know. Maybe it's the title influencing me here, but it feels like a song that would play during the credits of a movie, right? It feels like it's just there to kind of be like what's playing and to kind of like play you out of the theater, you know? Yeah. Play you out of the record.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with the song being kind of a big mixing bowl of sound effects and production tricks. Like, it starts with this nice bass and a gong sound, but then as you're listening to it, more and more little instruments just peek in and make a little sound effect noise. The guitar hook, though, is really great. I think it was too long. It's a little long, but it's got a really great guitar hook. The doo 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 doo. It just sticks right in your brain. Yeah. The drums are also pretty good on this one. This song definitely also goes, I think, in my top six. Oh, wow, the instrumental goes into the top six
1: i really like instrumental music i uh, listen again uh, i listen to a lot of random playlists and i have a whole just instrumental playlist
0: yeah i mean me too for me this one felt like a whelming end to such a rock out record you know it wasn't underwhelming necessarily but it wasn't overwhelming either so i was whelmed by this one it was just middle of the road yeah this one whelmed me (laughs) it's kind of this Okay, you know,
1: we talked about a lot of this album being vanilla, you know, but then you got like which vanilla you got your French vanilla, your double vanilla. Yeah, this is the
0: whelmed vanilla. Yes, yes, yes. Vanilla whelmed. Can I buy that at the store? (laughs) Yeah, I just I left it going. Yeah, that was all right. It doesn't wow me like a lot of the rest of the album does. Huh. It's a fun one to just groove along to. That's exactly how I feel about it. So with that, we've covered every track front to back. That's really cool. I'm going to start saying that on every episode. Unless people hate it. Hey, guys, if you hated that right now, tell me before I do it more.
1: And if you hated it but just want to see him do it more so you have something to complain about, don't tell him.
0: That's always an option. What was your favorite song? I told you mine. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know on this record. Everything is such a close race for favorite song on this album to me.
1: And if you can't pick it, you know, you know, it's just, I can pick four. you can do it with Angels as well.
0: <laughs> I think my favorite song on this album might have to be Ragdoll.
1: Ragdoll, okay, yeah. That was another one of my top three, so I'll, I
0: think I like it for, first of all, the catchy vocal run that we talked about. And I also really love the consistency in the symbolism and the imagery. You know, the Tin Lizzy, the shoe shine, the Speakeasies, and Moonshine, the very old-timey feel to it with the 1987 twist. Just really works well for me. Like, the whole song feels like it gels. I think I'm gonna give that one my stamp of approval as the favorite this week. Interesting. So I guess that brings us into the final spin. Time to score the record and tell you all of our official rankings. I'm interested to hear your scores on this one. For music on this one, the music one surprises me a little bit until I really sit down and think about it. For the most part, musically, you know, I look at the chords and the melodies and stuff. And this is an album that does a lot of melodies really, really well. You know, dude looks like a lady, Simaria, with the big sweeping high notes. The guitar solos are all phenomenal. I think a lot of what they do musically is really clever. Sometimes they include a chorus. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes the whole song is just a jumbled mess between refrains. But the whole record is really fun musically. I think they did a good job of putting together a rock out record. I'm giving music an 88.
1: Yeah, music was definitely the best part of this album.
0: I think lyrics are an interesting category to score because I think when they work, they work really well. Like I talked about the lines in Dude Looks Like a Lady that I really like. A lot of the lyrics are very clever like that. And then some of the lyrics just don't have that same staying power. Like I talked about on Permanent Vacation, the verses almost just feel like throwaway verses that, frankly, I just don't remember ever. They're not important. So I think lyrics overall averages out to about an 83. Higher than I expected. Yeah, maybe. Maybe higher than it should be. I don't know. Instrumentation and production. Of all the scores, I think this is the one that I am maybe on the fence about the most. I think it may be on the low side where it is right now. Because we talked about the instrumentation is so great. The guitar solos are incredible. Harmonica, great choice. The Mellotron, amazing. I gave instrumentation and production an 82. Oh, still fairly high.
1: Still in the 80s.
0: It's still... Yeah, you're right.
1: I just... I don't know. I feel like... I feel like it's too low compared to where your lyric score is currently, but I think your lyric score is too high.
0: I don't know. Once we started talking about the steel drum in Permanent Vacation, I was like, am I really going to give production and instruments an 82? They put a steel drum in it, but I don't want to just let steel drum bias ruin the score. So <laughs> That's true. And then for the overall vibe, I think vibe-wise, just a fun record, you know? I like that there's not a lot to digest lyrically. I like that it doesn't try to make any points. Aerosmith knows where they stand and what they're good at, and they execute it pretty flawlessly, I think. I mean, it's got its ups and its downs, but for the most part, they stick to their guns. So I'm giving Vibe an 84.
1: I don't like that because that... Just doing the quick maths in my head, I don't like where that score is about to come
0: out at. Well, your quick maths don't matter. The math department, made up of squirrels, their math is the one that matters, and they said overall eighty six point one. Permanent vacation's gonna get an eighty six point one.
1: Disgusting! Disgusting! I'm protesting! I'm rioting! I'm riding in the street right now. If I remember correctly, you gave Duolipo like an eighty four, and you scored this higher. Than that. I'm disgusted. You
0: are correct. Yeah, Dua Lipa only got an 84.3. I hate it. Listen, you're duo-biased. You're the president of the spin-it dua lipa fan club. So obviously you're gonna not like that. Yeah,
1: and as the president of the spin it dua lipa fan club, I think I speak for all of our members, just really me and Craig, but still all of our members. I feel I feel like you need to make this up to me.
0: Oh you know what? No. Oh, well, all right. Uh, I tried. (laughs) (laughs) It was worth a shot, I guess. All right, Mr. Disgusted, it's your turn to rank this album. This is going to get six
1: dragonfly eyes out of 10 for me.
0: (laughs) Well, you've got a mutated dragonfly, because what I learned today is they only have five. Yeah, well,
1: this is just an extra special dragonfly.
0: You're giving it one and one-fifth of a dragonfly. Yeah, yeah, that tracks. Okay, that sounds like a much more impressive rating, so I'm gonna go with that.
1: One in one fifth of a dragonfly.
0: <laughs> I like that. This is another album where our scores have really differed then. If you wanna check us out further, see what albums are coming up next week, maybe get a little sneak peek and see some of the cool graphics that we come up with in the art department, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at SpinitPod on Twitter, at official on Instagram.
1: You can find all of our previous episodes, you know, everywhere that you could possibly want to find a podcast episode, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, all those greats.
0: If you can't find us anywhere that you want to find us, tell us and we'll make ourselves found there. We'll get it to whatever platform you desire. Thanks for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. Share us with people that you think might like us. Share us with people that you think might hate us. And we will see you next week with a brand new album. What album is it? You know, have you picked it yet? For next week, I have picked it. Should we keep it a surprise? Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. Wait, no, wait. I'll tease it. I'll tease it. I won't tell you the name of the album, but I'll tell you that there's a person dressed as a sheep on the album cover. What? Yep, that's where I'm leaving it. All right. Well, if you want to find out more about that, come back next week. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Keep spinning, everybody.